are very welcome to the Binge Eating Dietitian podcast. My name is Jo. I'm a registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counsellor, and I'm here to smash the taboo of binge eating. How are you doing? Long time, no talk. It is now the beginning of March 2024. I have been away from recording new episodes for quite some time now, and I have missed you so much. I have missed sitting in this chair getting the mic out and just letting loose with all things binge eating, eating disorders and how to develop a healthy relationship with food. But it's all been for a very good reason. As you guys know, I am doing my doctorate program right now and it's all about binge eating. It's all about the lived experience of binge eating, particularly people in Ireland. Let me tell you right now that doing a doctorate is an a complete roller coaster. It is so up and down. You have days where you feel like you are making great progress, like you're really hitting the nail on the head with something. And then the next day, you feel like that you're just a complete imposter, that you don't know what you're doing, that you shouldn't be allowed to do research, and that you'll never, ever finish it. So my days are really looking like that right now. That's just me being very honest with you. So I will talk about my doctorate more in future episodes. But right now, I'm still just navigating that roller coaster. So when I feel a bit more confident to do so, I will be back. Oh boy, you better believe it. I will be back because I have so much to tell you about it. So even though I'm not back making regular episodes just yet, I had a conversation recently that I really wanted to share with you. And it all started from an email. Trigger warning. If you do not like the word obesity, this is not the episode for you. Please pause, stop and move on to another podcast because this is not for you. My guest uses the term obesity a lot in this episode very frequently. So if you don't like it, I really beg you to move on to another episode. Okay, as I said, this conversation all started with an email and I was very skeptical, very dubious. But look, I'll just read out the email and I'll explain a bit more afterwards. Here it goes. Dear Joe. I love listening to your podcast and I find it resonates with so much of my work as a registered dietitian and researcher in child and adolescent obesity. Please pause after reading my title and please read what I have to say below. A lot of my work with children, teenagers and families involves dispelling myths around food, nutrition and obesity, improving relationships with food and bodies and addressing stigma and bias. From both research and clinical practice in this area, we see so much harm being done by others in society, including the media, social media, family members, school and in the health services. The clinical service that I work on, which is currently the only child and adolescent obesity service in Ireland, takes a best practice multidisciplinary approach to helping young people and their families. As the only dietitian working on this team at the moment, I encourage an evidence-based approach to management which prioritises health. Many of my consultations are joined with the psychologists on our team where we are able to educate and encourage the family around language and focusing on overall health and well-being and taking the focus and discourse away from weight. This often comes as a shock, surprise to many families and indeed health professionals when we provide training about what we actually do as a service because there is a great misunderstanding around it. Many individuals expect that We, or in particular I as a dietitian, put children on restrictive diets, which is just simply not the case. I usually explain this in my first consultation with families because they often bring it up or expect it and then realise that my approach is quite different. 
I reiterate that my focus is on helping to establish or repair a healthy relationship with food and bodies, which, as you know, does not involve dieting. You might be thinking, why am I contacting you with this spiel? I suppose the reason that I'm contacting you is because I often think, after seeing so much harm and damage being done at such a young age and understanding the rippling effects of this for the future in adulthood, it would be brilliant if more people in society, media and healthcare understood this and if more conversations were supportive and not stigmatising. So that is the email that I received from this registered dietitian, Neve Arthurs, who currently works in a childhood obesity service in Ireland. And when she wanted to come and be a guest on my podcast, I really was not sure. As you know, I'm here to smash binge eating. Binge eating is a very serious eating disorder. It it can be life altering. It's very stigmatized. Not much help, not much support. And maybe you have been wrongly referred to obesity services instead of being taken seriously as having a real eating disorder, because that happens to so many people in all different countries. But out of sheer curiosity about how someone working in an obesity service can still be an advocate, can still fight against stigma, can still help people towards the same goal that I'm helping you with, towards a better relationship with food, I was extremely curious. So I said to Neve that I would be happy to have her as a guest on my podcast. And this is the conversation that I'm going to bring you right now have a listen to it. Let me know what you think. And if you have an experience of being referred to an obesity service, either as an adult or maybe when you were a child or maybe your own children have been referred, I would love to know what your experience was. Whether you're living in Ireland, UK, Australia, America, Chile, Panama, there's listeners from all over the world here and I'm so grateful for every one of you. And if you have been through an obesity service like what we speak about in this episode, I would love to know what your experience was. All right, let's get into it. Here is the conversation that I had with Neve. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and what made you send that email to me earlier on this year? Yeah, um, thanks so much for uh, having me on to chat about obesity, Joe. Um, I am a registered dietitian and researcher in the area of child and adolescent obesity, and. Over the past number of years, I've become more and more passionate and I suppose determined to help inform others because there's so many myths, there's so many inaccurate perceptions in our world and the society that we live in um, around obesity. And it really, it really drives further complications and makes life a lot harder for so many people in society, in our in our world. Um, and a lot of it is driven by where people don't really understand obesity so much and what it is and what maybe an individual who's affected by obesity is actually going through. A lot of it is kind of based on judgments or assumptions and I suppose other things that we are just surrounded by in society and in our world. And there's a lot of conversations uh, that I've listened to on your podcast that I'm like, oh, I think it would be really brilliant if people had more understanding and could develop more compassion about those who are affected by obesity um, and understand that actually there's a lot more going on than what one might think or than what one might perceive meets the eye. 
Okay, thank you for that. I think that was, that's a really nice introduction to you and the work that you do. So just right off the bat then, like what are the myths that you want to clear up by speaking on the podcast today? Yeah, so one, I suppose the our approach and our real concern when it comes to obesity is its impact on an individual's health and quality of life. And a lot of people are shocked when they hear that obesity is classified as a disease. And it was actually classified as a disease back in 1948. So 1948, long before I was even born, it's been classified as a disease. And where we look at obesity as a disease is because by definition, from the World Health Organization, it's where there is an abnormal or excessive accumulation of adipose tissue or fat tissue in the body. And why this is a concern is because it it starts to affect other organs and other systems in the body. It can actually affect nearly every organ and system in the body. So this is not a, a body, you know, like from an external point of view. What we as the obesity community are concerned about is what's going on inside the body for that individual the impacts on that individual's health and also on their quality of life. So it's not about uh, just eyeballing or looking at someone from an outside. It is about what's going on on the inside. And a lot of the conversation gets muddled around obesity, um, particularly in recent years with um, movements such as health at every size and body positivity. And sometimes they can be pitched against one another. Whereas actually, I believe that a lot of us are coming from a similar place where we all want society to be more inclusive, to be more understanding. And so that's why I think having this conversation, I'm hoping will help to kind of help people to understand and see, okay, actually, when it comes to obesity, the reason it's associated with health is because that's where the concern is. And that's why as healthcare professionals and as a community, we look to to treat and to help that individual person or child or family who are affected by obesity. Yeah, I, I know what you mean about like, like you and I were both registered dietitians. I guess we have similar training. We went into the profession with similar similar goals. I hope to help people, to help people achieve better health goals. So, you know, I don't doubt that, you know, people working in obesity are there with the same goals in mind of like helping your patients, your clients to reach better health for themselves. I just know that people listening to this now who are in bigger bodies are saying to themselves, just because I'm technically obese as per the BMI chart, which is highly flawed. Maybe I could get your insight into that in a few minutes. Um, does that automatically mean I have a disease though? Yeah. And this, I'm so glad that you brought this up because this is again, exactly why it's really important to try and develop this understanding. When we talk about obesity, we are talking about the health implications. We're not talking about looking at someone and judging them based on a body size. And so when it comes to healthcare and treating obesity, we use clinical staging systems. So, for example, the one that we would use in children is called the Edmonton Obesity Staging System. And this is where we're actually looking at internally, body composition wise, are there high excessive or abnormal levels of adipose tissue? Is it starting to affect other organs or systems? And we have a staging system. So say, for example, stage zero is where there is no indications at the moment that the 
fat is starting to infiltrate the other organs or the other body systems and causing lots of other adverse effects. Stage one, we might start to see some risks and some factors uh, seeping in. Stage two, it, it goes on, then we're starting to see some presentations. So we might see things like insulin resistance. Um, and then this is obviously increasing the risk of developing type 2 diabetes. We can see where it affects eyesight. It can affect skin. It can affect respiratory. It can affect, you know, sleeping at nighttime. Um, and all of these factors are going to impact on an individual's health and also their quality of life. So this is only the kind of physiological things that I'm speaking about internally around the organs. But of course, you're also going to have a lot of the time, especially as obesity, if it is of a higher stage, there's so many psychosocial complications and factors at, at play as well. So if there is things like anxiety, depression, um, eating disorders, which is very, very common, then that would, again, denote a higher stage in our staging system. So yeah, like with BMI, you know, if we, if we were to take our great nation of Ireland and we've got such a fantastic rugby team and lots of our rugby players who are strong, they're fit, they're healthy, they're happy. But if we were to look at BMI, body mass index alone, it would classify a lot of them in the obesity categories, which doesn't actually say anything about their health. They're complete, they could be completely healthy and happy and no issues. And that's the big dis uh, distinction that I'd like to try and get across here. Many people live in bigger bodies. They're happy. They're healthy. Their health is not affected. They do not have obesity. Yes, some people might say, oh, well, according to the BMI, I'm classified in that category, but that's not telling you about your health inside. So when we come into the healthcare ream of it, we like to look at, is it actually impacting health and how, and that's what our treatment focuses on, the health, the quality of life. So just to make sure I'm like reversing off the same hymn sheet here, if someone's BMI is say like classed as, like, I don't know, about like 32, let's say, which will be classed as obese as per the chart. And you're saying that that person doesn't necessarily have obesity just based on that. No, no, no. And it's, it's, this is where it comes down to all of this, um, jargon and muddled messages that we have in society. We've got so many years of harm and, um, of messaging convincing us that, you know, diets and certain body weights and fitness and all these kind of things. But actually, like some of that, none of that sometimes even, you know, matters. It, there's so much noise in the background that overshadows, well, actually, is it impacting the person's health? That's that's our focus when it comes to obesity in healthcare by those who are trained, who are knowledgeable and who are treating obesity appropriately, um, which unfortunately at the moment isn't always the case either. And that can sometimes do more harm than good. But it is this thing in society when it comes to body shape and size. And I often explain this to families. We are very accepting in society that if the biological parents have dark hair, their child is highly likely to have dark hair. If they have white skin or brown skin or black skin, then their child is highly likely to have white skin or brown skin or black skin. Even when it comes to height, in society, 
were way more accepting of, oh, well, sure, Timmy's dad is really tall. Sure, no wonder Timmy's so tall. He gets his genes, his genetics from his dad because up to 70% of our body weight is actually determined by our genetics, which means that it is out of our control. We can't do anything about it. And unfortunately, in society, the way that our world lives in today, often people are judged. Um, it's, it's just not as accepted that, oh, well, sure, their body isn't, their body weight, shape, size is largely genetically determined. And that makes sense. And we've always come in different body shapes and sizes. Even when you look back at like the Romans and the Greeks and you see the, um, the art that they used to do and the statues, like there was always different body shapes and sizes. But there's so much noise. There's so much other noise going on that makes a lot of society think that it's not acceptable or that it's not a good thing when actually sometimes it's a, the, the thing that's wrong is the, is society's perceptions and attitudes towards bigger bodies. So you're saying the 70% of weight is determined by genetics? Up to 70%, yeah. Up to 70%. So is your role then working? And I know that you work with children and adolescents. I'm sure it can be also transferred to adults as well. Like, is your role working on the 30% or like, what is your role then? If it's all, if it's genetically determined, then what is, what is your role as a dietitian working with, with people with obesity? Yeah. Joe, largely my role is trying to help develop a healthy relationship with food. And again, this is one of my motivations for wanting to come out and speak more about this topic because a lot of behaviors, a lot of, there's so much bias that exists in our world. And unfortunately it drives really, um, really poor and negative relationships with food and people, you know, children, teenagers, especially with social media now, it's, it makes this, it makes it a lot harder and they start to develop an unhealthy relationship with food and with their bodies. So a lot of it is actually just trying to get them back into understanding that it's okay to, you know, be able to enjoy food as part of social occasions, or it's okay to, you know, whatever it might be that they, that they're, that they're doing. It's just trying to dispel a lot of nutribabble, um, and create this trusting relationship with food that they are entitled to enjoy sometimes, just like everyone else in the world is able to enjoy sometimes. Because sometimes they feel, I can't have that. I don't deserve that kind of food. So a lot of it, and I work very closely with a fantastic team of psychologists, and I work as part of a multidisciplinary team because that is that is the how obesity is managed. It's a multidisciplinary team approach. There's so much going on that it really needs all the different pieces of the jigsaw, or as I sometimes think of it, we all have our own tools in our t- in the toolbox. So we each bring to try and help with this and this and that and that. Um, but if I could maybe just express a bit more about bias, weight bias that is just prevalent in our society. There's the you know for in from the children and teenagers that I see, it's the explicit. Um, bias, weight bias that we might see. So sometimes there's negative attitudes that are 
um, they're explicitly expressed. For example, a child not being picked to be on a team because it's perceived that because of their body weight, that they might not be as good as others or that they might not help that team to win. There's the implicit bias where there's these unconscious um, negative attitudes and beliefs about weight or about people who live in bigger bodies. And that might be, for example, if you like, in a, I, again, I remember a family mentioned this one time in a child's birthday, going to a fast food outlet and someone might just think, oh, maybe they go here all the time. Whereas they don't know anything about that family and it's the child's birthday. So they could only be going there once in a blue moon, but it's these automatic assumptions, automatic judgments without having any background information, without knowing that actually, you know, maybe that family eat fruit and vegetables all the time and eat wonderfully and healthily all the time and it's their birthday. So they're just going out to a fast food outlet to enjoy it. Why not? Why can't they have a birthday cake like everyone else in the world or, or, you know, whatever that might be. And then there's the internalized bias and stigma. And this is vicious where the individual person starts to believe, well, I can't do that because of my body weight. And be- and it's driven by everyone else's attitudes and behaviors um, reflected on them. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm nodding along to everything that you're saying. I'm big on smashing weight stigma alongside everything else. I want to just see how far that you're able to go with this, okay? Because I'm 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 nodding along to everything that you're saying. I completely agree with you, but I get the impression that you're still <clears throat> you and your your team and your service are still kind of like fenced in a little bit. You mentioned like I just want to help people to enjoy like food as part of societal occasions or to go like to enjoy the birthday cake. Like what if it's not for a birthday like do you promote that people can have total food freedom that they can yeah you're nodding along yeah like it's there's no one size fits all when it comes to treatment but it it's important to understand that when a lot of times when the when the families come to me sometimes they've experienced such horrific stigma from others and that a lot of damage has already been done so like I I always have to kind of come from where where they meet them where they're at at that moment in that time um and like you know w- one of the first things I say to them whenever I meet them is hi I'm me the dietitian but I'm never ever going to mention the word diet don't even call me don't even need to call me a dietitian just call me Neve or call me your one or you know the food doctor or something um I don't talk about calories or diets. The focus is on improving the nutritional quality and their relationship with food and with their bodies. Um, some of them won't have negative body image. Some of them do. And the psychologists, that's their role. That's where they come in as part of the team. Um, but it's very hand in hand. So it, it, it really depends on where the individual child um, or adolescent is coming from. And there is so much disordered eating. So that is a massive focus is trying to help them understand, like a lot of them will feel that they can't enjoy or that they shouldn't be eating the chocolate or the cakes or whatever it is. And I call these the sometimes foods. The reason I call them and I explain this to the, to the family, the reason I call them the sometimes foods is because it's okay to have them sometimes. Everyone 
gets to enjoy those things. What would, you know, sorry, I use the birthday one because I think no matter what culture, um, they're like some, not everyone celebrates Christmas, but I could say Christmas, you know, what's Christmas without all the lovely things that we have around Christmas. And that's why I use birthdays because usually it's a celebration. Um, but these foods are there to be enjoyed. Sometimes they always have been around. It's okay to have them and it's trying to help them understand that it's not an, they don't, it's not an all or nothing because that feeds into this cycle sometimes of when they do have whatever the, their, their forbidden food, maybe, and maybe they themselves are trying to avoid having it. They're restricting themselves, which again, I would be trying to address, or maybe if it's over restriction being placed on them by other family members, it's about learning. Oh yeah, no, I can have it. I can enjoy it and I can have it again. It's not a biggie. I don't have to feel guilty for having it. I don't have to have all or nothing. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of work that, that, that happens. Um, and then often I focus on what can we add in? Cause often they're not meeting their calcium recommendations, you know, and often they're, they're afraid as well by again, other messaging out there and lots of things out there. Like they might be afraid to have things like cheese. It might be like, Oh, but sure. Like even this, oh, bloody bananas, you know, like oh, aren't bananas really fattening? It's like, no. <laughs> so a lot of uh, my work will be dispelling, breaking down nutrition myths and things that might have been going around or they might have seen on TikTok or, you know, a family member might have heard it from someone or somewhere. Um, and it's bringing it back to basics. And I really try and explain. I use lots of uh, like, I use sometimes the elastic band to explain about, you know, if we restrict ourselves too much, we end up sometimes going overboard the other way. Um, and that it's much better to develop this healthy relationship with food for life because that's long lasting. I know this kind of work is very complicated and, you know, it's it's so hard to explain that that area in the gray like it's easy to explain the black and white like the all or nothing approaches but explaining that that area in the gray is really challenging that term though that you use and this is, this is the last point i want to um pick out on this on this topic is you just said you said the word sometimes foods like to full times there what if, if if a child came to you and they were eating cake every day what would you say to that I would ask them what they think about it first. What they, you know, I, I go by their, I meet them where they're at. Mm. But I'd say, what do, what do you think about that? Um, and I, I use visuals as well to explain about nutrition. I'd also find out, you know, are they learning about food in school and nutrition school? Often in primary school, they do the food pyramid. So I might take that out as a picture, as a pictorial. And I'll say, oh, have you seen this before? And, nearly all the time they have seen it before and I'll ask them to explain it and then I'll then I might ask them and so now this has never hasn't ever happened that they're only eating cake all day every day but I would you know continue the conversation to get them thinking about what do you think about that now what do you think about cake every day all day every day do you think you might be missing anything and again Joe that's what I would focus on more like I'd I'd have I wouldn't I'd avoid focusing on that it's only cake and cake every day and where cakes belongs. I would actually say, what do you think there's anything missing there? And that I would focus way more on what can we add in? And if we're adding in this, well, then maybe 
we're reducing a bit of that. So we're getting, again, I'm always working towards this, a little bit of everything and not too much of, of anything, trying to work towards this balance. Um, I thought you were going to say that, that you applied the food pyramid and say, where does food go on the food, per- or where does cake go on the food pyramid? No. Oh, no. No. No, I get that. I get it to come from their understanding because it's much more beneficial for them rather than someone, t- another person telling them the bloody food police. Um, you know, and often like that's where a lot of the training I think comes in as dietitians. A lot of the time we are almost trained to be like the food police and we're taught about calories and, and, you know, weight management. We're taught so little about obesity, which is so complex, which isn't about, oh, just diagnosing someone by their weight and their height and a BMI scale. There's so much more to it. And unfortunately, there's not enough education around it, even in healthcare. Like 70% of adults with obesity experience stigmatizing encounters in healthcare. And then unfortunately, they don't want to go back. Why would you if you've been treated horribly and you haven't felt listened to or understood? It's awful. And I don't believe that it's, you know, that healthcare professionals are out. Like, I think that healthcare professionals become healthcare professionals because they care about people's health. But unfortunately, like stigma in so many other parts of life, in other ways, mental health, even HIV over the years, years and years ago, damage is done when there isn't, when there's a lack of understanding. Um, and like something else that people are often surprised or maybe shocked about when they come to our service where we are all trained, we're knowledgeable and we're providing appropriate care for obesity. We explain that this is about health. This is what we care about. This is what we're going to try and help you with if you want to be helped, if that's what you want to do. And it's up to you if you want to come to this service, you know, Um, and we explain that this isn't about weight loss and we're not actually going to talk about weight loss. And that's interesting. So you don't, you don't talk about weight loss at all with no. your patients? Apart from that, at the start, when we say we're not going to talk about this, we're not going to, we focus on health. That's, and we constantly say that over and over again. We care about your health. That's what we're going to focus on. We're, our focus is your health. Um, and there's so many things going on that we can help them with to help their health. Sometimes it's, it's, it's bringing it right down to a child being able to play on the floor, on the ground, which is a why a lot of younger children, a lot of their play happens on the ground. But when, with a child with obesity, sometimes it's very hard for them to get up or it's very hard for them to be able to move around on the floor like their friends do, like their other children their age do. And they notice that. They know that they're different. They may not understand why, but they know that there's something not right. And they're not able to enjoy and they're not able to reach their full potential because of the obesity. So by addressing the obesity, then over time, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight, you know, either in the first place or, or treatment wise. But over time, one of the, you know, that's a lovely outcome is that they're able to play and move around more on the floor or, you know, for, we have a lot of children, um, who, don't go to school anymore because they're being bullied. They're not comfortable. Um, so maybe another goal might be, or a really positive outcome is helping them to feel comfortable enough to go back into social settings, to go back into school. You know, about 71% of adolescents with obesity experience bullying based on their weight. 
And then about a third of these have experienced bullying for more than five years. So that psychosocial impact is massive. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. So these are our priorities. That's why I keep saying it's about quality of life. It's about health. And a lot of people don't know that they often come a lot of, even a lot of the times families will come expecting us to be like, you know, adults. I won't mention any names, but adult weight management groups. And that's what I'm saying. When they come to me as a dietitian, they're like, Oh gosh, here we go. She's going to be like the food police. And the first 10 minutes I have to be like, Nope, I'm not the food police. You know, I'm don't, I'm not going to talk about diets. You're not going to hear me saying that. I'm not going to talk about weight loss. You're not going to hear me saying that either about health. Health and quality of life. Do you weigh your patients? So sometimes we do growth measurements. Yeah, we do do growth measurements. Um, and in pediatrics, it's a really growth is a really important indicator of health. So pediatrics is quite different to adults. We have to make sure that the child is still growing in height and developing to their full height potential. It's a case by case. Like I'll see if. If the child or adolescent has mentioned a lot about their body image, that they're really self-conscious, if it's a very upsetting, you know, opening up that happens in, in, in my, in my room, then there's, there's no point. It's not like me knowing their weight and their height that day is not going to make a difference to what we're going to talk about that day or to, you know, the goals that are going to help them to work on. So it really depends on, on how they are. And also the other thing, sorry, it's really important to say. I'll always ask, I'll always ask them, do you want to do your growth measurements today? And that's where I describe it. I don't say, okay, hop on the scales there and see what weight you are. That's not the way it is. It's, would you like to have your growth measurements done today? And majority of the time they do because they do, they know they're growing. Um, and they, they're really interested to see what it is. And it's, it's, I'm, I have quite a, um, a Lady Gaga poker face or blank canvas. So I don't, react either way whatever it is that's what it is it's just a number I don't even say the number out loud unless they want to unless they want me to say it out loud but I just I take it down as an indicator of health because it's their growth um, and that's as I said really important in pediatrics in the pediatric clinical setting but other than that there isn't any focus on it and I don't do it at the start is another thing to mention um, I'll ask them if they want their, their growth measurements at the end after We've talked about whatever else is going on and whatever else they want to talk about and work on in, in that consultation. Do you know if the adults get weighed in the adult service? Yeah, I believe that it's a similar approach that they're always asked in appropriate setting. I keep going back to the appropriate setting because as I said, most of us aren't trained. We don't receive enough training in obesity. We might do a few hours, even as dietitians. We do might do a few hours or we learn about weight management where it's more about kind of, you know, the calories, whereas obesity is a, such a complicated area. We need to know about staging systems. We need to know about all of these internal um, things that could be going on inside the body. We need to learn about working as part of a multidisciplinary team. The treatments are constantly evolving at the moment, which is brilliant because it means we've got more uh, options to offer individuals because there's no, there's no one obesity. It's not like, oh, you all have the same thing. We're all different. So it makes the world interesting because we're all the same. The world will be boring. So it's everyone 
has a different experience. They, they, you know, obesity may have developed really differently. Sometimes we've, there's trauma in the background or there's, um, where there's a very insta- unstable in like housing insecurity. We've got families who are in homeless accommodation or no accommodation. They're homeless. Um, so there's, there's lots of different reasons what's going on in the background about what might be contributing to developing obesity. Um, and that's just so complicated. There's over 200 different driving factors and they're only the ones that we know about. There's so much research at the moment that's uncovering more and more and more all of the time. Um, but when it comes to health professionals, so important that the right approach is, is had. And that comes down to training and education of health professionals, which isn't at the moment part is, isn't adequately covered as part of standard health professional curricula. Um, it's a, it's an additional skill that health professionals need to, if they're really interested and passionate about, or if they actually hear about, which again, hopefully maybe some health professionals listening to this might go, oh gosh, I didn't realize there's so much more to obesity than I thought. Um, and What's yeah, your s- view then on, uh, I'm just going to throw it out there. You, you might be aware that I'm part of a campaign to have the weight loss TV show in Ireland, Operation Transformation decommissioned. I haven't spoken about it too much on the podcast. It's more of a social media driven campaign. And in 2023, yeah, January this year, uh, the funding, public funding was revoked for that. Mm. Um, It used to receive a quarter of a million euros every year straight from the healthcare budget to fund that show, that weight loss TV entertainment show. And that's been revoked now. They say it's not a, res- a result of our campaign. They say it was completely unrelated, but uh, we hope that it, that it was. Mm. What are your, what's your thoughts on weight loss TV shows like Operation Transformation? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give a bit of a, the pros and cons. Um, so when it comes to now, if the, if the focus is purely weight loss, I think it's, it's more about an entertainment thing. Um, and it's sensationalized entertainment, uh, you know, and when it comes to the area that I work in, I understand and I appreciate that 70% of a, up to 70% of a person's weight is not under their control. And the words, words, when I hear these kind of words that are often on these shows, the word like motivation, that sends me to the hills because that's assuming that the individual isn't trying and it's assuming that it's down to just the individual's control and that they're not motivated. And again, that's largely based on weight bias, weight stigma. And this is constantly then continuing to drive these perceptions, these prejudiced, stereotyped, discriminatory views and attitudes and actions in our society. And then that's having a negative effect on individuals who start to believe themselves that, again, going back to that self-internalized bias, I should be able to. I should be able to do this. Oh, it's my fault that I'm not motivated. That shame, that blame, that guilt. It just, it leads to increased levels of cortisol, which then can cause further weight gain. It can reduce insulin sensitivity. 
and it can increase appetite. And it's such a vicious cycle. That's not helpful. You know, so that entertainment, sensationalism, it's, con- it's continuing to drive such stigmatizing, prejudiced attitudes in our society. So I do not think that's helpful at all. Um, and I don't think it's giving an accurate view either because you're only seeing like you're only seeing an individual in a certain time point you don't know what's happening to them a year later you know down the line whatever it is um so yeah i i think the, the pros that are in my mind not so much the focus so that's where i was saying if it's a focus on weight loss i just think that's entertainment that's not helpful. That's harming. I think I feel like it's more harming and damaging than than good. Um, the pub, some of the public health me- measures or messages in it, but that don't. The, it's not the right environment or platform, I believe, for these public health messages. Like there's some things in it, like you know, nice healthy recipes or um, phys- being physically active. Um, there's loads of communities that I've seen around the country in January when it's really dark and it's wet and it's blustery. And there's like the marches in the high visits. You see them out in the high visits and it's this lovely community approach that you're not on your own and it's safer and we're in company. And the fact that Operation Transformation or those programs have helped maybe something like that, I think that's good. That's positive, but not related to wait <laughs> if it was separate if it was just um health promoting yeah no we completely agree with that we recognize that there's pros to it as well like the community aspect like exactly. getting everybody out when it's dark outside the bringing families together to eat at meal times like yeah. this is all good really really useful stuff that is health promoting as you say but it's the focus on weight and it's the focus on the transformation the before and after the eight week transformation that's really damaging did you know that it was publicly funded yeah yeah does that shock you um no because surprise you i should say yeah no because a lot of people don't really understand about obesity and they think or you know like even there's so there's just the conversation um and around weight weight loss is just so noisy and powerful it's you so would think that there. the health service would be ones who would know about the complexities of obesity. Like we're not talking about like people who have not a clue about obesity. They're supposed to be the the leaders of 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 health in the country, and they are starting to understand more. They are starting to understand more, as is every everywhere in the world, because obesity for such a long time was assumed to be this or that. And it was assumed that, oh, sure, sure, obesity, sure, it's easy. You just have to eat less and move more. That was the message for so, so long. There's a such a small number who really get it, who really understand it, who are working in it. And we do have a lot more understanding now from the Department of Health. That's where we have our new model of care for overweight and obesity for the country. Um, both for adults and also for children um, and teenagers, which is great. It's a commitment. 
for the first time, it's a commitment from the Department of Health to say, yeah, we recognize that this needs to actually be addressed and that it's a gateway disease. So it's actually causing way more complications, which then have to be treated. So why don't we just stop the flow upstream as opposed to letting it go downhill and causing more and more problems? And what really, really helped to get the politicians to listen and to get the powers that be to hear was to have the voice of the lived experience because no one knows better than they do. They're the ones who are experts in what it's like to live with this, what they experience on a day-to-day basis, getting on a bus, getting on an airplane and seeing the shock of people who are like, oh no, I hope they don't sit beside me because they're going to take up more of my space and my seat. This is their day-to-day lives, going into somewhere like a fast food outlet because they're starving, they've been on the go all day and feeling judged. And then getting home after a full-on day of feeling so judged, so stigmatized. And it just keeps driving, keeps driving, driving certain behaviors, that feeling of shame, that feeling of guilt, which a lot of people might think helps. And actually it does the opposite. It makes it even worse. And it leads to things like depression, anxiety, and eating disorders. Yeah, which is exactly how people end up listening to this podcast. Like this, this podcast is about like, just exactly as you describe people who feel so ashamed because they think that they should be able to lose weight easily. And like what you just said there about, oh, people think that it's just um, eat less and move more. Mm. And it'll it'll be a shock to some people listening to this, that that that's not the case, that it's not as simple as that. And I know that the world is starting to... To pick up with this new view of, of of obesity as being a disease and um one that deserves a lot of respect as much respect as any other disease yeah there's still so many that still believe that it can be treated with diet and exercise yeah i know and it's going to take time it's going to take a lot of time but having a conversation like this if there's anyone who listens this conversation and goes oh gosh maybe it's not my fault Maybe there is help out there. Maybe I'm not on my own. Maybe I can get help and I can get, they're actually going to understand and listen to me and I'm not going to feel judged and I'm not going to feel like, oh, well, that was a waste of time or a waste of money going into them. Yeah. Um, that, what would you say on that, on that note? Um, what would you say to, let's say a parent of how young are the children that you see? From two, from two years of two. age. What would you say to a parent of a two-year-old who has just been referred to your service and is just up the walls, worried, doesn't know what to expect? What would you say to them? I would say, I, I, I appreciate that it might be really hard. It might be hard that other people have maybe treated you in a nasty way, in an unrespectable way. But please come and chat with us. Meet the members of our team. We know this. We know this area. We're trained. We can help. And there's, and we promise that we will give a listening ear, a non-judgmental and a respectful approach and that you will be heard. That's fine. So it'd be non-judgmental, respectful, 
not the first question is going to be how did this happen or how did you let it get this way because that's what people fear that that's it's that uh, questions like that's what, what people fear I know from, yeah. from so many many people in, in that position um and Joe, a lot of it then is, it, it comes, that's what I'm saying. A lot of it comes from people who don't understand. Like the amount of like parents that go, gosh, no one has ever explained it to me like that before. Or thank you. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is my job. There's no need to thank me for doing my job. Like I'm being paid to do this. And they're like, but no one else has listened. Thank you for listening. That's a fundamental flaw that people don't feel listened to in our health services that people are thanking, you know, for, for just doing the job, just doing the job that we're, that we're being paid to do, that we're there to do. Um, but it's because it's so rare. It's so, so rare for someone to actually understand and not feel judged. Um, and there's so much shaming and blaming from everyone else and everywhere else in the media, you know, like again, another sensationalist, like entertainment, they want the headlines, they want w- harsh words, the pictures, often pictures um, representing obesity. It's where the heads are cut off and it has like, you know, it, um, it shows skin and just like focuses on a stomach or it might focus on certain types of food that are assumed, you know, to be judged, to be uh, more common in people who maybe have obesity or people who live in bigger bodies and don't have obesity and are healthy and happy and there's no issues. Um, But we're constantly being driven. And every year it fascinates me that we have such a massive lead up to Christmas from September now. We're con- We're being bombarded and everything this side of Christmas is all about indulgence and more and you know, eat, 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 and, you know, all these kind of messages, you know, constantly, 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 constantly. And come the 1st of January, what are the headlines? Superfood, which is just a marketing term. You know, I remember one year it was ridiculous. Oats were a superfood. I was like, cheapers. they've been in our grandparents' presses for decades, like, you know, but that it's so much, the food industry is just so powerful. Diet food. The diet industry, I think, is a, yeah. is a better term. Yeah. Diet industry, food industry as well. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> so much marketing, so much mm. powerful messaging. Um, and it's, you know, this, this rat mace, we're constantly, you know, new year, new you. It's kind of like, yeah. Yeah. It's completely messed up. Once, once your attention is drawn to it, like you just start to see it everywhere. You start to notice the patterns and, like, yeah, you're right. Like now it's the run up to Christmas, then it'll be New Year, New Me, then it'll be Valentine's Day, it'll be back to yeah. indulgence. Like it just is, is constant. That'll be the summer and the bikini body. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Whatever diety things. And it's just so constant. Whenever do you see a headline about, um, give yourself a break? When do we ever see compassionate headlines? Are they not sexy enough? Do they not get enough people's attention? That's what I'd love to see. I'd love to see yeah. a show on like, you know, how to look after yourself or put your put yourself first. Imagine that. Imagine a show about caring for you, looking out for you. I believe that during the pandemic, it must have been like 2021, I'd say 20, January. Mm, 
no, actually, because it definitely ran that year, maybe sometime in 2020, where Operation Transformation did a series, but it was like the focus was not on weight. It was people who were like living alone. They were isolating and it was all about people taking care of themselves during the pandemic. And apparently nobody watched it. The ratings were terrible because it wasn't focused on weight. There wasn't that transformation. At the beginning of this episode, I put a little trigger warning to say that the word obesity is going to be mentioned probably hundreds of times. Yeah. That term is really stigmatizing for some people, but you're using it quite freely. What's your experience with it in terms of like how your clients perceive it or where do you come from with that? Yeah. It, it's, it's very differently. Um, it's very differently perceived, Joe, to be honest. And like a lot of, like, especially families, chill, the children and the teenagers do not want to be associated with that word as, at all because it's often used in such a negative way. Like they're often called obese in a, as a slag, as in for in a form of bullying. Oh, sure, you're obese. You can't do that. You're obese, or we don't want you in our team. You're obese. So it's used in a negative way. Um. So yeah, they they do not like. And this is we've actually asked. We have a youth panel, um, as part of our research group, and also uh in our clinical service, and we often ask them, and they do not like the word obesity. So we we don't actually mention the word obesity in in the service. It's, you know, it's if we use the language that they want to hear and use. Obesity, we would more often use as a medical term. So the medical diagnosis. And the reason it's so important to use obesity, to think about it in as as a as a disease and in a medical way, is because it's then you then start thinking about it as other medical conditions or diseases that deserve access to care that should have access to care should have training should have professionals should deserve ongoing management of this health condition and again it helps it it takes the focus away from weight loss um and weight it's the health that's what that's what we're focusing on so yeah um now there are many people who develop an understanding of obesity especially the adults who receive care and many of them are are fine with the word obesity. They understand it. Um, now, the only thing is the people first language is quite important to mention. So often adjectives are used to describe people, such as a clever boy, an intelligent girl, a funny girl, a beautiful or smart or whatever. But we don't describe people as diseases. So we don't say a cancerous person. Therefore, why would we say an obese person when we start thinking about it in health terms? So again, the obese, calling someone obese is very stigmatizing, negative connotations, not helpful. People first language, putting the person first, not describing them as a disease or as a medical condition. That's really, really important. So a person with obesity, a child with obesity. And this is happening more and more. We're seeing it um, in communications. We're seeing it in research. We're seeing it in healthcare, in um, patient information and things like that. Um, so, yeah. The word I, I try not to use ever, if I'm being honest. I, I really try not to. I, I, I know that so many people have been harmed by it. And... Yeah. People say, oh, you say bigger bodies too much, like people living in bigger bodies. Oh, I hate that term. And I get that there's no, there's just no right way to describe and people have different um, preferences. But I, 
so bigger bodies to me doesn't necessarily mean obesity. Yeah, I understand you know what that I mean? now after talking so, to you. Like, that's what I'm saying. You know, our fantastically talented, skilled, healthy, fit, uh, wonderful rugby team. I wouldn't describe them as small bodies, a lot of them. I would describe that they have big bodies. But it doesn't, it's not negatively impacting them. It actually is fantastic that they, they, you know, that's enabling them to be so good at their sports. And I'm just picking rugby as one example, but looking at lots of different ways in the world. Look at um, the Dutch as a population. They're known to be a, quite a tall population, whatever's in their gene pool over generations and generations, they tend to be quite tall. So even, you know, when we look around the world at different populations, all of our bodies are are quite different, different body shapes, sizes and types. So bigger bodies, they can be happy, they can be healthy, no issues. They don't need to come near me. (laughs) If their health is being negatively impaired, that is when people like me who are trained, knowledgeable, might be able to help. And that's when, if they want the help, please come and see us so we can help. We don't have to call it a, like, you know, we're not, if they don't want to call it a BC, that's fine. We don't have to mention it, but we're not really going to talk about weight that much either. So we're going to talk about health. It's important to life. remember that, like, when you're talking to somebody who's actually in the know, like you, like obesity just means something very different to just yeah. your body size. But well, it is what most of society does not understand yeah. and does not know, which is why it makes the word shivers, you know, through the body or why no still one still loaded. The word. Yeah. Yeah. It's still loaded. It's still associated with weight. It's still associated with so much judgment, so much discrimination and stereotypes. People not getting jobs or not getting promotions because of their, their body weight or, you know, it's just, yeah, it needs to change and conversations like this, um, really, really help. And if I can at some point just mention a few resources that if anyone listening might want to. I have just one more question for you and then yeah. you can mention yeah. those at the end. Um, how did you get into this work? <laughs> um, I wasn't expecting this question. I used to work in public health. And I worked in public health in the UK and in Ireland. And I worked with a lot of families from ethnic minority groups and disadvantaged backgrounds where there is a higher, a much higher level of obesity because there's so much different psychosocial uh, drivers of it. Um, and I kept coming, so I kept coming across obesity a lot. And all I knew from my training and from my work was like the whole eat less move, like the energy balance thing. But it, it, I kept thinking there must be more to it. Surely there's something else going on. Um, and I came across the Association for the Study of Obesity on the island of Ireland and I became a member, a general member first. So I started learning about like, different I started learning a bit about obesity and then it started opening my eyes and I was like oh my gosh this is how does the rest of the world not know this this is great like this is there's so much more going on there's so much more to know um and then I was elected as a committee member for the ASOI and I've always yeah I've been really happy in it since and I think 
you know, there's so many different examples of stigma in the world. This is an area that I've come across. And the reason is I have such a fire and a drive is because it's just so unacceptable. It's so discriminatory. It's so unfair. It's so unjust. And our world would be a much nicer place, a much more inclusive society for all of us to live in if we understood this. Tell us about the resources then, where people can learn more, where people can go to to find out more information about this. Yeah, so one website is the Association for the Study of Obesity on the Island of Ireland. So if the website is asoi.info. There's a lot of res- different resources. There's some podcasts on there. There's um, an, an appropriate image bank if anyone is ever using presentations or the media. Um, and there's also details about different events and training opportunities coming up. There's the Irish Coalition for People with Obesity, representatives of the lived experience. So people living with obesity or affected by obesity. And it's a support hub. Um, so there's frequent online meetings. If you're a parent, if you're someone who you think you have obesity or you do have obesity, it's a great connection. It's a great network just to get chatting with someone else and realizing maybe that you're not on your own and that there is help out there. And there's the Child and Adolescent Obesity Service, which is in Children's Health Ireland. Um, And the website is waytogo.ie. But there's also other community teams being developed for children and adolescents with obesity. So these will come come down the line. And then there's some adult services as well. So there's the Obesity Management Service in Lachlanstown in Dublin. There's one in Galway. And there's others in Cork as well. So there's a few services out there. But I think if you are wondering, do I need help? or does my child need help? I think the first point of call, as hard as it is, is to try and have that conversation with a health professional such as a GP. Or if you're part of a team in a hospital, um, a consultant or something like that, and try and then get a referral into an appropriate service. Because it's in these services that the treatment is going to be specific and evidence-based and appropriate for obesity. Thank you so much. That's been a wealth of information. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for listening to this repost episode of the Binge Eating Dietitian podcast. If you didn't know already, I am taking some time away from the podcast in 2023 so I can focus on smashing binge eating in other ways. I am doing a doctorate degree. I'm doing a doctorate of education degree in the realm of binge eating. And as you can imagine, it's taking some of my time and attention away from other pursuits like the podcast. I am keeping in touch with you on my mailing list though. So if you go to the link in the show notes now, you'll see a link there that says get your binge free week checklist. When you sign up to get the checklist, you will be added to my mailing list and I'll keep you posted on how things are going over there. And I'm sharing all of old episodes because they are full of wisdom about binge eating that I know that you need to hear. So so please keep listening and I'll chat to you soon over on my mailing list. Make sure you head to the link in the show notes now and sign up to get your free checklist to have a binge free week. And then you'll get my regular emails after that. Until then, please take care of yourself.